Unseen is sponsored this week by Shaker and Spoon, a subscription cocktail service that helps you learn how to make handcrafted cocktails right at home. We're definitely not going out to bars or house parties as much these days, but that doesn't mean you can't enjoy great drinks with the help of your Shaker and Spoon box. Every box comes with enough ingredients to make three different cocktail recipes, developed by world-class mixologists. All you need to do is buy one bottle of that month's spirit, and you have everything you need to make 12 drinks at home. At just 40 to 50 bucks a month, plus the cost of the bottle, this is a super cost-effective way to enjoy craft cocktails. And you can skip or cancel boxes at any time. Plus, listeners of this show can get $20 off your first box. Head to shakerandspoon.com unseen to snag that sweet or citrusy, depending on the box, discount today. That's shakerandspoon.com unseen. Today's episode of Unseen is also sponsored by Loot Crate. Loot Crate is the original fan-powered subscription box. They partner with entertainment, gaming, sports, and pop culture to deliver monthly themed crates. You can choose from a ton of different options for your crates, from specific franchises like Marvel to general themes like anime, gaming, sci-fi, and more. We here at Team Unseen really appreciate that Loot Crate is also a company run by fans. They work directly with creators and licensed partners to make new products that fans will be stoked to see. And they celebrate the unforgettable characters and iconic moments that made us all fans in the first place. They also offer local shipping in a ton of different countries. So if you usually can't get stuff like this because you live outside the U.S., definitely check Loot Crate out. And you can click the link in the episode description and use the code UNSEEN for 15% off your first order. That's code UNSEEN for 15% off at LootCrate.com. Just click the link in the description to get started. The following episode contains brief depictions of fantasy violence and drinking. Listener discretion is advised. Long Story Short Productions presents Unseen New Year's Special Saved by Sarah Shackett Journal entry, December 31st, Paris. This week has been... Well, it's been what it's been. I'm not quite sure what to say about it. Which, of course, is why I'm writing about it all. I suspect this will not be the most articulate entry. No. 
that would require more perspective. But in any case, let's start at the beginning. Let's start with how I spent the last day of the year. Today was my last full day in Paris. I got here right after Christmas. Paris is best in the winter, I think. There's something indescribable, but something, some shift, when the city is covered by a fresh blanket of snow. Of course, that would require there to be some sodding snow on the ground, which it appears we're not getting any of this year. <sighs> Hurrah. I was up early, very early, so I wandered around the premiere as the sun came up. Val had offered to arrange some activities for me to do while I was in the city. I chose to interpret that as an ill-advised attempt at humour. It's bad enough being forced to go on a holiday under duress. I'll be hanged if I'm also going to end up trapped in some inane tour group slog through the Louvre. That was a little petulant of me, I suppose. It's the thing about being in the Black Star, though. You're nervous when you first join the Order. Can you measure up? Is your magic enough to protect the world from all the other terrifying magic that's out there? All you can do is throw yourself into the work. But at some point, you look up and realise it's been... One, two, four, five, fifteen years. And because you've thrown yourself into the work, and because the work is so secret, even from most other magicians, a Black Star agent is all you know how to be. After four days on holiday in Paris, I had absolutely no idea what you're supposed to do with time off. I did all the tourist drags when I first moved here for university years ago. And now I've done all the things you're supposed to do when visiting your old home on holiday. I'd had coffee with my three professors who were still in the city. I'd spent hours browsing books at Shakespeare's and didn't buy a thing. I'd parked myself at Maria Frere for an afternoon, drinking a pot of Princeton Darjeeling and picking my way through an enormous box of chocolates. I'd visited where Grandma and Grandpa are buried. Of course, I'd also spent the past four days writing up a summary on illegal exports of wonder-working materials across the Irish border, worrying constantly about the three field teams we have out right now who are due for a check-in, and correcting the prefect of the city's brief on a smuggling ring suspected of operating out of the 19th arrondissement. Oh, come on! Just because I've been strong-armed into taking time off, that doesn't mean I've stopped having a brain. Doesn't mean there still isn't a mess waiting for me back in London, either. It's funny. Here I was, getting to spend four days in Paris at the turn of the year. No expectations, no agenda, just me and the city. 
and I was coping with it about as well as you'd expect. I stopped by a little cafe to have breakfast. It was warm enough for me to sit outside. It was warm enough for there to be a group of children playing football in the park across the street. I was starting to lose any hope that I'd get that snow on New Year's Eve. But other than that, it was nice. Something about how slow Paris moves in the mornings. A reminder, I suppose, every time we feel that we need a moment to catch our breath, we could just take it. There's nothing stopping us. I was the only person at the cafe sitting by myself. I caught one or two of the waiters looking at me, wondering why I was sitting alone on New Year's, probably thinking, poor dear, where are her people? But I'd never minded being alone, really. In its own way, it can be far less exhausting than the alternative. And I've always thought of myself as rather independent which I suppose is a little ironic. Still, sitting there and letting my tea get cold, a small part of me wondered what... Romalvo, Centrilla! That was too close. One of the kids in the park had been chasing her ball right into the street. The car didn't notice until it was almost on top of her. I almost didn't see it in time either. Almost didn't have enough time to do something to stop it. The car was tricky. Red Persia going at least 40 miles per hour, fast enough to kill someone in a frontal collision, not nearly enough time for them to manoeuvre out of the way. How do you stop that? Contrary to popular belief, I can't just snap my fingers and make anything happen. I need something I can work with, something I know. Cars. How do cars work? Combustion. Burning fuels. Not my forte. If I was a fire magician, I'd be able to snuff out the spark keeping the car going. That'd be easy, but I'm not. I'm me. But then I remember. Cars only use fire to go. When it comes to stopping, that's hydraulics. And that is something I know a thing or two about. I cast the first spell, and instantly the car starts to move differently. Every ounce of brake fluid in that system just slammed down on the car's rotors all at once. That's one half of the problem. There's still the fact that the kid is running straight into the path of the car. Body emotion stays in motion unless acted on by an external force. I've bought us a bit of time, but what good does that do if the girl still ends up in the car's path? I need to get her out of the way. Fortunately, about three-fifths of her body are made up of something I understand very well. You need to be careful. Making all the water in someone's body move a certain way. Too little and you won't stop whatever movement they're already doing. Too much and you could tear the body in two. But just enough and... The girl was fine. Scraped her elbow. 
I had intended for her to stay on her feet, but I pushed a little too hard and knocked her backwards. Not my best work, but I did only have 1.7 seconds to get the job done. Nobody there could see past the call. None of them understood what really happened. They thought that they'd made a mistake. That the girl and the car hadn't actually been as close to one another as it had looked for a second. That a sudden gust of wind had pushed her back. That they just... got very lucky. The way some people do. At least that's what I thought at first. But then I saw the girl. I saw the way she was lying on the ground, not getting up. The way she was looking at her hands. Not confused, not afraid, but like she'd just seen something. Something that had been there for a long time, and now she was trying to understand how she'd never noticed it before. <sighs> had I done that? Had I just given her the push she needed to break through? And then... It faded. This glassy look came over her and she shuddered, like she was shaking off an unpleasant thought. Someone threw her ball back to her and it was like she'd never run into the street. A moment later, she was gone. Well, never mind then. I asked for the bill and was on my way. I started walking without any particular direction, just to get moving. And I'm not quite sure how it ended my head, but I decided to walk the old roots of the French Revolution. I picked my way through dozens of half-forgotten battles and invisible barricades, from the Tuileries to the Bastille, just taking it in trying to appreciate just how many things have happened here that can no longer be seen or heard, but are still echoing, still reaching into our lives. Even if most of what you can see nowadays is just a bloody traffic circle. Paris was the same, more or less. A couple of things had gone up, a couple of things had gone away. It's to be expected. It's been almost 20 years since I'd last lived here. Back when I was a student and I was still learning about magic, I... <laughs> I kept waiting for the moment when it would happen, when I'd turn a corner and suddenly something would be there. I'd feel like I was 22 again and bright and energetic and scared for the future in an excited way instead of annoyed and tired and scared in a bad way for what's coming, for what's right around the corner. And maybe that's too much to ask of a city. Even Paris. Or maybe I'd just been away from it for too long. In either case, I do think I would have enjoyed the walk more if I'd had a little bit of snow. I stopped 
on the Champ de Mars in the early afternoon, sat on a bench and watched a few guys performing magic tricks for tourists. Not our magic, just contact juggling, interlocking rings, sleight of hand tricks, that sort of thing. They weren't bad. In fact, they were so good that I was the only one who saw how one of the jugglers was making the crowd's wallets disappear. He was patient, subtle, big friendly smile, moved through the crowd like a shadow and only lunged at just the right moment. Right when his little confrères did something to wow the crowd. Still, that sort of pickpocketing is a delicate dance. The slightest thing can make you stumble. It had rained last night, and there were still a few puddles on the ground. My new friend was walking straight towards one. So focused on the crowd, he didn't notice. I waited for just the right moment, and then... Crickers. It wasn't much, really. The moment he stepped into the puddle, I made the water freeze around his foot. When he tried to take his next step, well, like I said, it's a delicate dance. The slightest thing can make you lose your balance and drop all the shiny things you've stolen in front of the people you've stolen them from. I figured I could let them handle things from there. I hate people who use wonder like that, just to take advantage of other people. Who show people something amazing just because they want to keep their eyes busy. I hate that. It's just cruel. It was the late afternoon. I'd wandered up by the railway station when I heard it. I poked my head into the alley and saw them. Two guys, both fey, both running. One of them was carrying this briefcase, clutching it to his chest. The way people do when their life depends on it. Or when it's something that isn't, strictly speaking, theirs. The other was holding a bottle of lightning. Interesting bit of hematics, that. All kinds of uses, although I imagine he was particularly interested in the way it can effectively function as a bomb that only explodes in one direction. They were both yelling at me, telling me to bugger off. I stood my ground, told them that was a very nice briefcase, and asked them where they got it from. There followed more yelling, seasoned with generous helpings of the word connard. I politely repeated my question, and at this point, the gentlemen started to lose their cool. They came closer. The taller one said something about... Well, I believe the general effect was that if my ass was so badly in need of a kicking, they would be more than happy to oblige. And I thought, oh, why not? I've got some time to kill. Let's live a little.
I ducked into a cafe and got a cup of coffee. I needed something to do while I waited for the authorities to arrive. Once they did, I made sure they found the two unconscious bodies in the alleyway and pointed out the stolen briefcase. The on-duty agent had a lot of questions about who I was and what had happened in that alley. Once I'd told her, she had a different set of questions. Most of them were variations on, And is there anything else I can do to make your stay better, ma'am? There wasn't, really. So I let her handle the rest of the clean-up and went on my way. I wasn't quite sure what to do next, after that bit of fun. Given the scene world had been so full of magical interruptions, it might be time to walk into the unseen. There are places all over the city, restaurants, some clubs, one or two of the smaller, harder to find museums. Just places where you know you'll be able to go and have no one look past you for what you do or what you are. It wasn't a regular student haunt, but I'd always liked the Luxor when I lived in Paris before. It's a little rooftop bar on the edge of Montmartre. Not the nicest place in Paris, and the drinks are standard at best. But it's small enough to feel cosy, old enough to feel charming, and magical enough to feel welcoming. It's the rare place you can sit alone and not feel alone for a moment. At least in theory. The plan was, find a spot by one of the Wonderwork heaters, nurse my glass of Cabernet Sauvignon and just watch the sun disappear over the roofs of Paris. But there was some some restlessness I couldn't shake, even surrounded by magicians. I kept fidgeting with my glass. I don't do that. Why was I doing that? So, I tried to distract myself from, well, myself, by people watching. I spotted these three kids over in a corner. American, by their accent. 19, if I had to guess, and human which made the way they were all huddled around this silver bowl with runes carved into its side, filled with the clear water, quietly muttering an incantation. Very interesting. I know an augury kit when I see it. Not a lot of humans can make augury spells work. I'd learned that a long time ago. But here they were using the last sunlight of the year to amplify whatever power they had on their own. I watched them, tried to work the spell and felt a quirk of not quite kinship, not quite schadenfreude either. I wondered at them, I think. They'd made it past the call. They were going to get a full crack at the world as it really is. I don't suppose they have any idea how lucky they are. Although, at that moment, I bet they weren't feeling particularly lucky. 
They were having trouble with the spell. The same sort of trouble I'd had, I could tell. Two of them decided to give up and went to the bar. But one of them just sat there, staring into the bowl, just willing it to work. And I thought, maybe I can shed some light on this process. I waited until the kid had started casting the spell again. And then... Valterinia. I didn't do the whole thing for him, obviously. I wasn't going to make it easy. But I did offer up a little bit of clarity. I got the water moving in the right direction to make it receptive to the spell. The kid's expression lit up. And I could tell now they'd seen what the spell was supposed to look like, they'd be able to do it on their own. But then they saw me. And they realized what I'd done and, well, First they went bright red, then they gave me a rather sour look, and then wordlessly they grabbed their ball and stormed off. I suppose that's the thanks I get for trying to help. The evening was quiet. I got a small dinner from a street vendor and I started walking again. All day, I'd been meaning to figure out where I should go for midnight. Where I should be to see in the new year. Never quite managed to decide on anything. So I just walked. I picked a road. It led to a staircase. And I began to climb. And then I was there. Sacrica. The highest point in the city. I found a spot of open grass. From there, all of Paris stretches out before you, all its beauty and noise and promise. As I took in this gorgeous view, all of a sudden, looking out at the city with a whole new year stretching out before it, I just felt so... so tired. It was hard to pinpoint exactly why. I had done a surprising amount of good today. I'd stopped robberies, in the plural. Not bad work for a girl on vacation. But then I remembered the girl. From the park by the cafe. The way she'd almost made it past the call. How she had almost seen the magic. I couldn't help feeling like I'd let her down. 
like I could have done more to help her see the world as it is. As all it can be. There are so many things I would like the world to be this year. It doesn't matter how old you are, or how much experience you have, or how powerful your magic is. A feeling like that, equal parts hope and dread, is very hard to shake. I've only heard one bit of advice that's ever helped. Annoyingly, it's to not worry too much. Find the thing that you can do right here, right now. And... You know what? I realised there was something I could still do for that girl. And for me too. Nelly Estremer. There we go. Much better. Happy New Year's, Paris. I got us some snow. And, well, that's where we are. I'm still here, watching the snow fall on the grass in front of Sacre Coeur, waiting for the end of the year. Just a few minutes now. It's weird, isn't it, New Year's Eve? Nothing's really ending and nothing beginning, either. Really, we're all just taking a moment. Maybe one night of mulling over the year that was and drinking to the year that might be. Maybe that's all you need to feel like you have it in you to start all over again. Maybe that's all. Well, there you are. I've been looking all over for you. Well, I'll be damned. What the hell are you doing here? Oh, come now. Is that any way to greet your brother? Oh, my apologies. Edmund, what the hell are you doing here? What isn't it obvious? I'm here to watch the fireworks. And to bring my sister a bottle of middling champagne. Oh, very funny. Aren't you supposed to be on assignment? Something about a banshee in Romania? A bar guest, actually. In Slovakia. 
wrapped it up early, thought it might be nice to spend New Year's closer to her. And the paperwork is... Filed. In triplicate. You know, Addison, if I didn't know better, I would say it's almost like you aren't happy to see me. No, I'm thrilled. It's just... I thought I'd be alone tonight. It's New Year's Eve. Shouldn't be alone on New Year's Eve. Come on. Chin chin. So. You're on vacation. That's unusual. Apparently, there's a rule somewhere that you can't work three years in a row without taking some time off. I'm glad someone put their foot down. You want to tell me? <laughs> what? The reason why you're here in Paris by yourself? Didn't tell any of the people you love? Mum and Dad are on a cruise. They're busy. You could have told me. You were supposed to be busy. There was a banshee. Podcast. Whatever. So, is that a no you don't want to tell me, or...? <laughs> no. I do. But I can't. Why not? Because it's a Black Star thing. You can talk to me about work. No, Edmund, I can't. It's part of the whole being one of the heads of the magical secret society that tries to protect the world from the dangers of magic it can't always control or understand thing, remember. Oh, come on. Surely you can make an exception for your best agent. Third best. What about your favourite brother? If I had more of those, you'd be third in that too. Addison. Look at my face. My sister is acting out of character, going off on her own, not telling her family where she is, given that out of the two of us, she is supposed to be the responsible one. That makes me concerned, so hang the rules. I don't care if you have to oubliate the memory out of my head later. Tell me what's wrong now so I can help. There's going to be a vote. The seven heads of the Black Star, we're getting together on... January 2nd. <laughs> and what are you trying to decide? Rules for extradition to the Fair Kingdoms, new trial procedures... We're got going wins? to stop trying to figure out the call. What it is. Where it came from, how to get rid of it, we're... We're stopping. Ah. Um... A question. Yes? Isn't the whole reason why the Order of the Black Star exists to figure out why the call is even here to begin with? Yes. Why it stops most of the planet from being able to see magic? Yes. And didn't we fall into the role of peacekeepers and protectors as an interim measure? Until we could unravel the mystery of the core? Beautifully put. Well, seems a little silly to... I agree. And the rest of the council? Does not. Huh. 
Well, it is a hell of a riddle. Why do most people in the world forget that magic exists? Depends on who you ask. When the core first manifested itself 800 years ago as a force of nature, inexplicable. But then we got on the case, carried out investigations, experiments, sunk fortunes into researching it, created a vast secret organisation solely dedicated to understanding the call and how to reverse it. And eight centuries later? What's the latest theory? We think that humans who know at least three languages might have an easier time getting through the call. Might. Time and money well spent, then. Whose side are you on, Edmund? Are you watching closely? I am, and I'm on yours. I don't think that it's a good excuse to give up on solving the biggest problem in the world just because it's hard. But you can see why folks might be the slightest bit tired. Got you. You'll make them come round. Remind them what we're here to do. What the point of this is. I don't think I will. What? They all seem rather set. Well, set them. And how do you propose I do that? Convince them. I can't. You can. No, Edmund, you could. You could do this. If you were on the council instead of me, then it would be a different story. You... I don't know. Start with a joke, then follow it up with a non-sequitur that flows into a riddle that lasts seven bloody minutes for no discernible reason. Round that out with a quick little obsequious joke, then retell the problem, but from an arch perspective that makes you seem also very clever. Left turn into a bitter realisation about the transience of existence, never too late for another anecdote. And finally, finally, bring it all in for a twisty, turny landing. And if everyone could please agree with me and tell me how clever I am, that would be fabulous. You were always the clever one. Does it look like I'm in the mood for bloody jokes? The thing that I've given my life to that I think, while far from perfect, is one of the few forces of actively working to make this troubled world a better place is about to make a terrible mistake. A mistake that may set it back for centuries. It's my job to stop it from making that mistake, and I can't. I can't fix it. Black Star's always its own worst enemy, isn't it? It doesn't have enemies. That might be the problem. We think we can do whatever we want, so we fight about anything. And everything. You're wrong, you know. About what? Well... We'll get there in a moment. Oh, God... It begins. First, a question. Why do you have the cushy job on the council while I'm out there doing all the dangerous field work? Easy. Because the wrong person died at the right time, and I happened to be the next water mage in line. Oh, yes. 
But besides that... Oh, do tell. But if this doesn't come in the form of a story about... Oh, I don't know, four men getting stranded in the Gobi Desert or something, I'm going to be crushed. Well then, there are these four men, and they get stranded. In the Gobi Desert. Oh my god, Edmund! Now, two of them are veiled. All they see is just sand and sand and impending doom. But the other two, they're magicians. So they know that if they're clever, they can make the desert work for them. I need more alcohol for this. Well, I brought you alcohol. I need better alcohol for this. We can address that later. Now, our magicians, one of them is handy with fire. He can make fire to keep them warm at night. He uses the heat of the sun to triangulate their position, guide them towards safety. Impressive stuff. Very. The other one. He doesn't have that kind of flash, but he can coax what little water there is to be had out of the ground, keep them all alive-ish. Well... It's the Gobi Desert, it's gigantic and dangerous, you can't be sure of anything, everything's an ish. Got you. Shut up and tell your stupid story. (laughs) The other three men start to look up to the fire magician. He does his best to lead them, to keep morale up, but time passes and they're still lost in the desert. Because it's the Gobi Desert goes on for ages. Of course. But the problem is, see, people don't go on for ages. We're a very limited time offer. The more time they spend out there, the more endless it seems. It's only a matter of time before they begin to lose heart. They start bickering, but then, one day, the fire magician turns to the... Whatever he's about to do to get them out of there is going to make me very angry, isn't it? Oh, he doesn't get them out. He doesn't. Of course not. Don't be silly. They do eventually get rescued. And do you know why that's even possible? Because they survived long enough to be rescued. Because they had just enough water. (sighs) Oh. You actually have a point to make, don't you? Yes, I do. Addison, you are one of the seven leaders of the world's most powerful, most secretive magical organizations. Because you're a great magician who cares deeply about the unseen world and about both our worlds becoming a more just place. So out of the two of us, you're exactly who needs to be on the council. Who can remind them that this is a very big desert and we have absolutely no idea which direction we're headed. So the key is to find as much water as we can. Edmund, in your story, the group gets rescued. No one is coming to rescue us. No, I suppose not. And how are we supposed to get out of this metaphorical desert alive, then? Oh, no one gets out of this alive. We just get saved for a little while. Saved-ish. Well, I feel massively reassured. Not sure what you expected. No, you're still the same incorrigible pessimist. And even if you need to occasionally be reminded, you're still an insufferable optimist. 
I almost helped a kid see past the call today, you know. Did you? Yeah. I cast a spell to push her out the way of a car, and when she was getting up, she had it. And then she lost it. I'm sorry. It's fine. I just... I thought I'd help someone today. Help to make their life better, and then... Not so much. It's too bad. Of course, you did push them out of the way of a speeding car. Well, yes, but that's not really... Don't mow yes me. You know, Sister Dear, one day you might get to fix this broken world and help it remember everything it's forgotten, but until then, using your magic to keep them alive doesn't strike me as a bad way to spend your time. And in fact, if I were in the market for a twisty anecdote to sway a powerful council of mages, I could do much, much worse. Yes, I suppose you could. You know, I thought it wasn't supposed to snow tonight. In fact, I'm sure it wasn't. What are the odds? Sometimes these things just work out. Yes. And sometimes the right person is on hand with the right vision. And that's all it takes. Thank you for coming, for being helpful in your own annoying way. What else are Big Brothers for? You're only older by 26 minutes. That still counts. It's almost midnight. What are we drinking to? Hmm. Another year? Of being stranded in the desert. Of pulling water from the sand. Cheers. There we go. Nothing like fireworks to start the year off right. There's nothing in the world like fireworks on a snowy night. It's like magic. This has been Unseen by Long Story Short Productions. Based on an original idea by Gabrielle Urbina, with additional conceptual design work by Sarah Shackett. Today's episode was written and directed by Sarah Shackett, with script editing by David K. Barnes. It starred Beth Eyre in the role of Addison Laval. It also featured Felix Trench in the role of Edmund Laval. 
original music by Alan Rohde. This episode also features the song Magic, written by Sam Long of Honey and the Sting and performed by Sour Flower. Sound recording by Andy Goddard and sound design by Zach Valenti. Unseen is produced by Sarah Shackett, Zach Valenti, and Gabrielle Urbina, along with Angel Acevedo, Jen Schneider, and Amy Tanguay. For more information on the Unseen world, please visit unseen.show. Thank you for listening. You're still listening. Hell yeah. Hey, Unseen producer Zach Valenti here with a quick ask. First, if you love the show, we'd love to know. Please take a moment while it's still fresh to rate and review the show wherever you listen. In particular, Apple Podcast. Second, we decided to make this series to bring a little magic into a world we felt could really use some. Please share this episode with someone or someones who brings magic to your life. You can tell them there's a message for them at the end of the episode. <clears throat> On behalf of whoever brought you here, Happy New Year! Let's make 2021 the best we can by being the best we can. Thank you for ending this crazy roller coaster of a year that 2020's been by listening to something special to me. Can't wait to hear what you made of this episode. <clears throat> I also wanted to shout out all 1,162 of our Kickstarter backers who made this show possible. If you weren't a backer but would like to support the show retroactively, please visit unseen.show slash support. If you ever want to say hi, the show is on Twitter at unseen.show. Thank you so much to everyone who shared their kind words and incredible fan art. All right, that's all for now. We'll be back February 14th with our Valentine's Day special, written by David K. Barnes.